0: So hello everybody, welcome to our brand new podcast For the Love of Books, a show all about books and their authors, because who doesn't love books? The podcast will feature Indian small press authors who navigate the pioneer and sometimes treacherous waters of self-publishing. I will be your host, Emma, and we're going to have a great show with an awesome guest lineup from all over the world. It's an honor for me to introduce my guest author, Diana Polpa. Diana is a prolific writer who has spent nine books in nine genres. She's an avid indie author advocate. During the height of the COVID-19 quarantine, when it became clear that all in-person author events would be canceled, she sprung into action and started virtual book festivals on Zoom. And the world has changed since then. Hi, Diana. Welcome to the show.
1: Hi, Emma. Uh, thank you so much for having me. I'm I'm thrilled to be here with you on your podcast. This is going to be a lot of fun.
0: Yep, me too. So what do you like the most about being an indie author and then about being an indie author advocate? That is so unusual, that combination.
1: Well, for it me, is. it seems like a very natural combination. Um, as an indie author, I like that i have control over my work both creatively and through my business and we all as booksellers have to be business people as well so i really enjoy that i get that control i get to decide what my covers are going to look like i get to work with the editors that are the best fit for me Um, when i work uh, creating a children's book i get to work with the illustrators that are a best fit for me so i like all the the freedom and control that i have Um, as a business person i like being an indie author because i get to decide on pricing schemas i get to decide on my advertising message i get to decide which platforms i participate in and which i don't And with a traditionally published author, they don't always have that kind of control over their careers. So I really like um, having the flexibility that being an indie author provides for both me and my career. As far as being an advocate, well, that just seems like a natural thing to do. Uh, I can't imagine not advocating for other people who are in the same boat with me. You know, Um, other indie authors are struggling the way I am. They're all just as creatively inspired as I am, some more so than I am. And so I want to be on their team. I want to be the cheerleader. I want to shine that spotlight. So being an indie advocate is super, super easy for me. It's just the natural way of being.
0: And in one of the sessions during the February winter uh, virtual book fest, you talked about uh, how important it is to have an assembled team, an entire team. So let's say somebody's thinking about, all right, I'm going to venture into this indie self publishing. So who should all be on
1: that team? Right. I think um, <laughs> providing. Preparing with a team of really great providers is an important step to managing your career as an indie author. Um, I think so many first-time novice writers get in with a traditional—you know—if they're lucky enough to get in with a traditional press, or they're trying to find um, an agent to go traditional, they're under this this misnomer, this misconception that. The trad publisher is just going to do everything for you. And, and in some cases, that's true. But in other cases, as I say, because they do it all for you, you lose the perspective of control. So um, in building my team, I think it's important to find professionals who do what they do for a living, not just friends and family who are willing to be supportive. Right. That's important in its own right. We have to have those cheerleaders, but we have to have a professional team. So, You have to look for a a professional editor. You have to look for a professional layout designer to make sure that the interior of your book is laid out professionally and that it fits to, um, you know, within the standard brackets of what traditional publishing calls the norm. You know, you have some wiggle room there, but it still has to to follow some certain guidelines. Um, Illustrators. You know, you don't just want to do um, stick figure drawings for your children's book. You want illustrators who can really bring your characters to life on the page. And then I think, most importantly, as a cover designer, uh, because the cover is the very first impression a reader has of your work. And if they're not drawn to your cover, they won't open the first page. So I think you need to set up a team that helps you with all of those things i am a professional author this is what i do for a living but i'm also a professional editor i don't edit my own work i have a professional editor that i hire to edit my work because i think it's a very dangerous path to edit your own work you miss your own mistakes you're just too close to it you have to have that objectivity so even though i do this for a living i don't edit my own work ever so let's say
0: how before how before I start even thinking about writing a book how hmm. how long before I start doing that should I think about the team the whole team
1: you know oh, like right. the editor you know the proofreader yeah. the different everybody you you need to start thinking about developing your team if the first step is, okay, I want to write a book. I have this idea. Maybe I'm going to outline it. Maybe I'm not going to outline it and pants it. That's a whole nother conversation. But maybe, you know, I have this idea. I know what I want to write about, kind of, sort of, maybe. And I, I really am committed to creating this book. The next email you write should be to a professional editor.
0: editor
1: and then that editor say hi i'm interested in writing a book i need some professional guidance Mm -hmm. and that editor will say okay here's what you do send me your first draft okay break it up into chapters wherever you feel the chapters go send me your first draft and then i will work with you to polish it and fine tune it that your editor may go through it with you twice maybe three times Um, to make sure that it's exactly where it needs to be. And your editor will make suggestions like word usage and grammar and um, where to make page breaks or where to make chapter breaks, where to make scene breaks. They'll help you with all of that if you're even just a little bit unsure. Don't worry, your editor will help you fine tune it. The most important step is, get your story on the page. But as you begin writing, connect with an editor so that you can create a relationship with somebody you know you're going to work really well with. That relationship is really paramount to creating a a spectacular book. And then once you get through with your first draft, send it to your editor and then while your editor's working on that first round of edits, Mm -hmm. reach out to a cover designer and say I'm creating this book. My first draft is with my editor. Here are some concepts I have for a cover. Can you help me develop cover art? Mm-hmm. And then again, you might need to talk to two or three different cover designers before you find one that understands your concept and agrees with the direction you want to go. Everything you do in this industry is about building relationships, whether it's with an editor or a cover designer, a marketer, um, Everything you do is about building relationships, all the way up to building relationships with your reader. If you don't have relationships, your career is not going to move forward. So um, don't think that you have to wait to write 100% of the Mm -hmm. book before you start reaching out to these professionals. Start early. Start having these conversations um, to create the best relationships that are going to support your work. And this whole
0: process, approximately from the idea to the finished product, I get often asked this question, very often. How long does it take? If there's such a thing as an average or estimate, I
1: know it depends on different genre, but... That's, I get that asked a lot. Sure, yeah, a lot of people ask me that question as well. And um, primarily the answer is ambiguous as it sounds, the answer is it depends on the author. Um, Mm -hmm. It also depends, like you say, on genre, Mm -hmm. Um, but primarily the the length of time it takes to write a book is directly correlated to the passion in the author.
0: Okay.
1: If you're willing to sit down and write, you know, the Nano guideline, National Novel Writing Month guideline is yeah. 1667 words a day. That's 50,000 yeah. words in a month. If you're mm-hmm. willing to sit down and commit that kind of time, make that commitment every day to write, um you can probably finish the first draft of your book within 6 months or a year depending on your again, your genre, your subject matter. Um, and then after that, it can take anywhere from three months to another year to get it completely edited and ready to go to press. Okay. Again, the length of time to edit depends on your willingness to really sit down and focus on the edit notes that you get and make the corrections and changes and improvements. And it also depends on your editor and how many other projects they're working on simultaneously. Okay. So, um In all the conversations I've had with indie authors, the average that I've heard within the community to publish a book is a year. A year, yeah, that's what I've heard. Yeah, now I know some authors that do it every six months, which which I don't understand. I don't understand
0: that
1: either. How about if you were to describe
0: your daily writing routine? Do you have such a thing as a daily, established daily
1: writing routine? Um, at, At one time I did. When i was early in my writing path i did have a daily routine that i'd sit down every day at seven o'clock after dinner and i'd write for two hours um, now that i'm doing so much advocacy work uh, i'm not i'm not always writing every day okay. um, and i have a catalog now of nine books and i don't feel as pressured to get the next book out okay. when i was in the very beginning i wanted to get a new book out every six months you know, put this book out
0: Mm -hmm. Because I wanted
1: to do festivals where I had lots to offer on the table. I don't feel so um, frenzied about that anymore. So I'm really taking my time with these next books that I'm working on. Um, But uh, I have an online writing group that meets every Thursday. Mm -hmm. Um, Before COVID hit, we had a group that was meeting at a local Panera Cafe that met every Wednesday from 7 to 9 PM, two hours of concentrated writing time, not critique, just fingers right. on the keyboard, get the job done. I find that that sense of community is very empowering.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: to have that gentle accountability with other people who understand the process, I for me is very, um, it, it moves my, my process forward to have other people saying, hey, Diana, how many words did you do or, you know, you're not here tonight why aren't you here tonight that kind of a thing after covid um you know through the year of COVID, it was really hard to adjust and and i was doing a lot with festivals and trying to find this new normal um so just recently i started doing an online writing group that meets um through zoom we have a facebook page and then we meet through zoom every thursday from seven to nine so i'm getting two hours of concentrated writing time every week Definitely no questions and then I'm squeezing in writing where I can in between if I come up with an idea I'll sit down for an hour and write Um, But uh, with all the advocacy things I'm doing I find that um, That kind of is taking more um, Concentration than the writing part Um, But I missed the writing and I missed in community. So I built this new writing group online. Mm -hmm. But that? just Let the other here. night, oh, I, you ahead. know, last Thursday, I, I, I wrote in two hours, I think I wrote something like 1400 words. So, oh, you know, wow. well, for me, I type 120 words a minute because I used to be a transcriptionist. So I just
0: read it on your on your
1: website. I just read
0: that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah.
1: So it so it's mm-hmm. not so hard for me to put words on the page. Um, what I find most challenging is getting into the zone. And for uh-huh. me, that means me shut everything else off uh-huh. and just focus on this. <laughs> so yeah, that's what my biggest you? challenge.
0: Also wanted to ask you, how do you balance the different genre? You work, you've already penned nine different, you're working on four more. Do you mm-hmm. ever find that it's sometimes conflicting, that it conflicts or that it complements each other?
1: They all stand alone. As separate projects um, because they all are all separate genres. You know, I have this wacky notion that I want to write one book in each of the 35 major genres. Um, so that that's on my goal list. It's kind of like ice cream, you know you you don't know which one is your favorite until you try all 31 flavors. So that that's that's kind of how I'm approaching writing. Um, so right now I am writing science fiction, historical fiction. I'm writing a suspense novel written hundred percent in second person, which is kind of an interesting challenge. And then I'm also writing a political thriller. They're all very separate compartmentalized stories with very separate different characters. So it's not hard to work on them simultaneously. Um, And I'm a passionate plotter. So I have very specific outlines and timelines for each book which gives me the flexibility of when i get an idea for the political thriller i can jump into that file and write when i get an idea for the suspense i can jump into that file and write so i don't feel a confliction it's kind of like watching different television programs okay when you watch different tv programs you don't get the characters and the storylines confused because they're all very different So that's that's what I'm doing with my writing, is that they're all so very different. Now, if I was writing three books in the same genre, maybe that would be harder for me. Okay. But since they're all very, very separate and very, very, like, in their own boxes, uh, I'm not finding it challenging at all. Okay. What's challenging is deciding which book I'm going to write in tonight. (laughs)
0: <laughs> oh, yes. Because I, I have, have so
1: many ideas oh, yeah. happening at the same time. But so, then that duck helps you, right? Do you have that oh, duck yeah. that you yeah. talk about? Yeah. That must yeah. be important, um, right? I, well, I really believe in in the energy of having a muse. Mm-hmm. I believe that that's, that's a real thing. I don't see it as flaky. I don't see it as make-believe. I, I think it's real. And my my muse is Drake. You can see him back here where, there we go, on my shoulder in that picture. So that's Drake, and he um, he has been with me spiritually since I was seven in um, stuffed animal format. He, in this format, he was a gift, um, when my son was 10 years old, he gave me this stuffed animal and said, he said, you know, mom, you're talking to yourself at the cafe, people are gonna think you're weird. Here's a duck, talk to the duck instead, and they won't think you're weird. So it works it out of work. out of the mouth of a ten year old it made sense so it made sense yeah um so yeah, so he he writes a a great deal of my work and I just take dictation most of the time oh
0: okay. Uh, Back to promoting books, you're obviously a big promoter for other indie authors, what have you found out as the most efficient so far, I mean, I bet you've tried a lot of different things, but out of all the avenues we all keep trying, what have you found out as the absolutely most efficient and that connects us the most with readers. I guess we're all looking for that connection with the readers.
1: Sure, yeah. Um, before COVID, I would have said um, book festivals. Yes. Going out and uh, going to a festival and meeting readers in the flesh, in person, talking about books, That that is by far, I think, the most um, beneficial thing a reader can do, a writer can do, is to, to go, Um, showcase your books at festivals.
0: Mm -hmm. During
1: COVID, it it was very difficult. We couldn't go do that. Um, So what I've learned to do is kind of shift my focus and and marketing attention to social media. Um, And with that, you have to have a new understanding that social media doesn't necessarily sell books. Right. Kate McNeil talks about this all the time. Mm -hmm. Social media doesn't sell books. But, again, creating those relationships with readers is Mm -hmm. what sells books. So when you're in person meeting somebody for the first time and you get to shake their hand and talk to them, hand them a copy of your book, sign it in person, that relationship building sells books. Um, On social media, you can't do that interpersonal part, but making friends having open dialogue, having conversations about different aspects of craft, talking about who likes what genre and what draws them Uh to a particular type of writing style. Those conversations all build relationships with readers, and uh, I think if we ignore social media, we're shooting ourselves in the foot. Yeah. So until we get back to -to face-to-face, I think social media is important, and Having said that, when we get back to the face to face Mm -hmm. festivals, I don't think we should neglect our social media. We spent all this time building these relationships. Yes. And I I think it would be foolish to let those relationships go. Absolutely. So I think we have to nurture and cultivate both sides of it.
0: And over the years, what have you found out that works the least? that people shouldn't even pursue in trying to market or trying to approach different readers, or what have you found I, out
1: that works the least? For me personally, and other, other authors may have a different experience of this, but for me personally, um, I had the least effective outreach with direct mail. Just direct sending mail. out postcards or sending out, you know, blindly sending, go to the post office, sign up for their bulk mail list send out 250 postcards to people in your zip code something very generic like that that has worked for me least effectively
0: and i found
1: it to be a tremendous um waste of my resources resources not just to design the postcard but then the money it takes to, to mail them um some people might have good response with it i don't Mm-hmm. I had a zero point zero one percent response return so that's one tenth of one percent is how many people responded when I sent out those mailers
0: oh wow so
1: it, it didn't work well for me somebody else might have a completely different understanding of it and they they might have a different approach that works better but for me that one um, that one direction you know that that direct mail that that was not worth my time and energy. I wouldn't recommend it. You
0: wouldn't, okay. And so what do you feel is your niche, like your major niche, if you were to set your apart from, set apart from other indie authors, even though I know this is a better question for politicians, but still we wanna (laughs) set ourselves apart somehow, just like musicians
1: and other artists. So what do you feel sets you apart? Uh, I think the big difference between me and, and other authors that you'll meet, say, at a book festival, is that I write in multiple genres. Yeah. There are very, very mm-hmm. few people who have the same... Let me, let me see if I can qualify that. I write in different genres with the same pen name. Mm-hmm. Yes. So there are, there are several authors, uh, many of them are good friends, who write in different genres, but they have a different pen name for each genre. That -hmm. makes me crazy. I can't imagine what that's like going to a signing event at a library and um, somebody calls out a name, and it's not my name, but it's the name on the book I just wrote. I can't imagine that pretending to be somebody else. Will I sign the right name on the inside cover? Will Mm -hmm. I sign the wrong name? Um, So my My thing, because I want to write in so many different genres Mm -hmm. and I want to be very um, adventurous about that process, is I wanted all of my books to have the same pen name, no matter what genre it was. And I think that's Mm -hmm. a a fairly unusual thing for an author to do. So I think that would be the big distinguishing thing for me. Yeah,
0: I would agree. What would you recommend to a kid in school who wants to become a serious author? I love this question not necessarily a famous but a
1: serious a serious author yeah i get this question a lot um, especially um, because i used to before COVID. i taught um, writing workshops in elementary and middle and high school students i also taught workshops to senior centers and this was always the question if i want to be a writer what's the most important piece of advice and no matter the age of the writer my answer is always just write. Just write. Just sit down and spend time, whether it's on the keyboard or with a pen and paper, spend time every week writing. It doesn't have to be militant. You don't have to, you know, attend s- six different writing groups and a critique group and a, you know, you don't have to do all that. If you'd rather just write privately, write privately, but do it with passion. Um, Do it as if someday somebody's going to pay you to do it. Mm -hmm. And when you put that kind of energy toward it and that kind of um, expectation of positive outcome, I think that's where where the secret lies. I think the secret lies in I expect that at some point I'm going to write a book that somebody is going to fall in love with and it's going to bring me great reward whether that's you know success on the New York Times bestseller list or whether that's success that my son runs around and tells everybody he knows that I wrote a book. Whatever success is for you, that doesn't matter. What matters is that you put the energy and the passion into the process. Into
0: the process.
1: So the biggest, um, biggest piece of advice I have is just write as often as you can. And even if it's 10 minutes a day, write with passion.
0: Okay. All right, that's a great advice. Jean Voss has a question. Sure. I think people would like to know what the best avenue is for getting your manuscript proofread and then published.
1: Um the the best thing I know how to do aside from hiring an author is to connect with people in your circle in everyday life. Not your family, because your family is going to tell you whatever they think you want to hear. Okay. All right. People outside of your family, maybe coworkers, maybe somebody you work out with at the gym, and hand them your manuscript and say, would you mind just taking a read at this? In the industry, we call that a beta reader. Somebody who looks at it before Mm -hmm. you send it to your editor. Okay. And they'll say... You know this worked for me it was really cool this didn't work for me here's why did you know that you spelled this word wrong 16 times you know something like that um i think those beta readers those initial proofreaders are really really helpful Mm -hmm. and then toward publishing you have to decide are you going to go out and hunt for an agent and go traditional or are you going to go hire your team of professionals And indie publish Um, Once you make that decision, then the road you follow is pretty much written for you The biggest decision to make though is indie or trad and for some people that can be a hard choice Um, And I would say banter that question around with your friends You know look at the pros and cons and, and hang out with with friends over coffee or cocoa or whatever it is You like to drink and say So I'm thinking about writing this book and there are two major avenues I can go to do it. What do you think? Okay. People in your circle of friends are gonna give you really good advice if they care about you. And they'll tell That's you the truth. So, so, and I then agree. take all of that feedback mm-hmm. and then weigh your decision from there. Okay.
0: And also, where do you find these beta readers? I get that question quite
1: often too. Where do you find the beta readers? Um, My best best suggestion is to jump on social media, and whether it's Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, whatever social media is is your particular brand of poison, um, go on there and say, Hey, I'm looking for beta readers. Is anybody interested? And then usually what I offer is, if somebody is kind enough to be a beta reader for me, I then acknowledge them, in the notes in the front end of the book. I say thank you mm-hmm. to, you know, so and so for being my beta reader. And then um, I also give them a complimentary copy of the book when it's published. Okay. Oh, so it's my way of saying thank you for being a beta reader. I appreciate all your help and input and, uh, and acknowledging their their assistance. I think that's super important to say thank you.
0: That's great advice. And then I also wanted to touch base about your essay. When did you write that and what inspired the sacred texts?
1: So the sacred text essay is a concept that I came up with when I first started in the publishing industry back in 2008. Um, I was working for another small press publisher at the time, and uh, I was running into some conflicts because that company was in it for the money potential, not because they were helping authors produce really great works. And, and I had a conflict with that, and that ultimately was what led me to leave that company. But um, the sacred text philosophy came out of this. If you take the time, energy, uh, heart, soul, and humanity to put your words on a page, all that goes into doing that, the the courageousness, the fearlessness, the dedication, the devotion, the passion, if you put all of that into putting words on a page, I feel I am honor-bound to treat what you write as sacred. Whether I agree with it, whether I don't agree with it, whether it's religious text or not religious text, you could be writing erotica. I don't personally enjoy erotica But if that's what you write, I still am honor-bound to give you the respect as if that writing were sacred Um, I I just think that it's an important part of being an author and certainly an important part of being an author advocate I don't know that I would be able to support authors the way that I do if I didn't believe That what they write should be revered Okay and I, I just believe that for myself. It, it's, um, it's, you know, some people believe Christ was the Messiah, some don't, some believe in Allah, some don't. I believe that sacred texts should be revered and respected, no matter what genre it is. So that's essentially what that essay is. And that essay is on my website, and that, that's essentially what that comes from. That's so that, a- that philosophy is what guides me in my advocacy work.
0: That's a very interesting concept. Because I you just, took it, you took it out of the religious connotation usually it has either religious or mythology and you put it in a greater context and sure. that's beautiful. Well, that thank you. Beautiful.
1: Thank you very much. I think it's important to look at anything. You know, we look at the Magna Carta as this very important political document. We should be treating it as sacred. We look at the Constitution as a piece of really important writing. We should be treating it as sacred. Does that mean that it can't go through upgrades and changes and improvements and evolution? Of course not. We still make room for all of that. But the fact that um, those documents came out of the heart and soul and passion of the people who wrote them, we should ascribe the reverence and respect to those words just as we would to the Bible or the Quran.
0: Absolutely, that's fascinating. That's Thank fascinating.
1: You. Could you Thank read you. I think it's it's really important. I'm could sorry. You, could you read to us for a minute? I minutes? would love that. I would love that. I have a short little piece that I'll read. It's about four and a half minutes long. Okay. Um, this is from my book, Free Will. Okay. I wrote, I wrote this in 2014 um this was my second book my first novel my first book was memoir this was my second book um and this is essentially the story of rachel it she dies and she finds herself standing between the gates of heaven and hell and she's told that free will is a real thing and she has to spend seven days on a visitor's pass in heaven and seven days on a visitor's pass in hell and then after that time, she has to make a decision about where she's going to spend eternity. It came out of the concept of, if you have free will on earth, wouldn't you also have free will after death? Mm-hmm. That's where the conversation started was in a okay. this context. I was having a conversation with um, a friend of mine, and we were talking about this idea of religion. And so the book came out of that. This is a satirical novel. Um, it is written in tongue-in-cheek. It is not meant to be serious at all okay. at all. <laughs> so um it's just a fun play in imagination with a concept that's been with us for centuries so i, I kind of wanted to flip it inside out and play with it a little bit okay so that's what this is um the piece i'm going to read for you now is just a short piece when um rachel arrives at purgatory okay In all the stories I heard, I was led to believe that purgatory was where the dead waited to be judged. I imagined park benches filled with the wretched waiting, those who knew their name wasn't inscribed in the Book of Life, those who knew they had a sin file, and those who were just waiting for someone to call their number and escort them out. Not in my wildest dreams did I ever conceive that purgatory might actually be a resort town. As we entered the inn, I was immediately comforted by the soft aroma of chocolate chip cookies baking. It made my mouth water for a glass of milk. As we moved further into the foyer, I felt the energy of several pairs of eyes staring at me, but saw no bodies attached to them. Liza made no attempt to explain anything. She simply took my hand again and led me up the stairs. As we climbed each step higher and higher, I had that first day of school anxiety welling up in the pit of my stomach. I thought I might hurl at any moment. We stepped out, we stopped out about halfway down the corridor and Liza pointed out my room on the left. Well, here you are, number 16. Liza tapped the doorknob as she was too short to reach the number higher up and opened the door. Usually, we'd like to give our guests the sensation of the familiar when they first visit and make the space here look and feel more like their old bedroom on earth. You know, to reduce the panic. But you seem acclimated enough, so I think we can forego all that theater and just be normal, wouldn't you agree? Standing about two paces inside the room, I lifted the pint-sized Liza by her armpits and brought her to eye level. My voice was fever-pitched normal are you kidding me i put a slightly frantic liza down slouched into the chair near the dresser and pointed out the window at the nothing there's nothing normal about this place any of it this is nuts i stood up again and began pacing the length of the room with liza standing in the doorway bracing for an earthquake test driving heaven and hell this is supposed to be normal No, this is the very last thing that normal looks like. If things were normal around here, I'd be called to appear before the big book of life and someone like, oh, I don't know, God, maybe, would tell me if I deserve to live out in eternity in heaven. And if I'd been a particularly bad girl, he sends me to a really uncomfortable place called hell with no chance of parole or appeal. I was completely prepared for that scenario. All of humanity is prepared for that. We expected it, it's what you told us was the truth. I've got a leather-bound book filled with wonderfully challenging prose back in my apartment that says so. It's even been on the New York Times bestseller list. Who would dispute the New York Times, I mean, after all? I'd regained my balance and lost my mind. My forehead was beginning to sweat my voice was crackling from the strain my arms were flailing and the tips of my ears began to heat to what i was sure was a lovely shade of magenta and now you tell me that god's on sabbatical and we get to choose our eternal destination salvation or damnation ourselves What were all of those years of of atonement and repentance for, all of those mitzvahs and Sabbath candles, the incalculable hours spent in Sunday school, all those days of fasting and cleansing? What was it all for, if not to show him our devotion and worthiness? I mean, really, all the rigmarole for nothing? It was all pointless? Is that what you're telling me? I was too far gone to stop now. I'd reached the precipice of death's reality and jumped off the ledge sans parachute. You know what I think? I think it's time we wrote a new book to make sure humanity gets the message right this time. Clearly, there was a clerical error or a problem with translation or something, but whoever wrote it the first time got it wrong. See, this is what happens when you try to do things by committee over too much time. They get it wrong. This isn't normal, this is insane. I'd been in such a froth, I didn't notice the goon squad that Liza had summoned. Before I knew it, one had each of my arms and they forced me to my knees. Liza moved toward me with cheetah speed. I felt a sudden pinch in my neck and quickly collapsed as the goons dropped me onto the bed. Call it magic, call it advanced pharmaceuticals, whatever it was, it calmed me immediately, and I slept placidly for quite a while, dreaming of everything and of the nothing I now knew encapsulated it all. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for Thanks. listening. I am, Thank you, Diana. I appreciate the indulgence. Thank you very much. That was entertaining. Any parting shots? Uh, yeah, thank you for thinking about parting jets. Um Yeah, I, I really enjoyed this time with you, Emma. I'm so glad that we've become friends over these festivals over the past year. And um, I look forward to more writing from you. I think that's going to be great. Um, and, and as far as anyone else watching or listening today, um, just keep doing it. You know, keep writing. Um, reach out. Um, I'm on Facebook at pagespromotions.com. You can find us um, at the website or on Facebook. And and I'm more than willing to um, mentor and advocate for anyone who wants to take on this crazy challenge of indie publishing.
0: Well, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Diane. Thank you. you. (laughs) Have a
1: great night. You too.
0: Thanks.